Good morning, Antioch family. I'm so grateful to be with you again. And as you grab your Bible, something to write with, something to write on, or a device to type on, or to, to pull up the scripture for today, I want to let you know that I'm excited to be with you soon. We are getting ready to open these doors for our first in-person worship in almost a year and a half. Listen, I can't tell you how much I miss you, how excited I am to see you. It will be the first time that we gathered for worship in this space, and I want to make sure it's better than right for you. Uh, there's equipment that's coming in. We want to make the experience unforgettable. So with that said, please forgive me, but we're going to move the date from June the 6th, mark your calendars, to June the 27th. June the 27th will be the official grand opening or soft opening of Antioch Church in Long Beach. We're going to be worshiping in person, so make sure you're there. We felt that it was more appropriate to move it to the 27th because all restrictions will be lifted at the middle of the month while we're going to, uh, again, ensure that protocols, personal protocols are in place and that everyone is safe. Uh, it'll be much easier for us to experience worship with those restrictions lifted. So mark your calendars for June the 27th, and we will see you right here at 350 Pine. Now, if you would, I want you to meet me in Matthew the 16th chapter. Matthew the 16th chapter. We're going to drift a little bit from our series we've been in, Dream Assassins, and we'll revisit that soon. But in preparation for next week, a very special Sunday, I want to share with you a message that I shared at the church of a friend in the last few weeks or so. And as I was sharing there with his congregation, I realized that this wasn't a message strictly for that congregation, but it was something God is up to at this moment in the lives of many. But Antioch, I want you to hear me with fresh ears. This message is going to meet many of you where you are. It may not be pretty and adorned, but it will be a word that will find you where you are, a word in season. And so I want to just take this time to set up a prophetic declaration that will be spoken at the end of our time together. Matthew 16, beginning at the 13th chapter, and it reads, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah or the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you, Peter, on this rock, I build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Father, we are so grateful, thankful for the time you've given us to share together. We pray that your word goes forth with clarity. But we pray that it penetrates our hearts and meets us right where we are. And we'll give you glory, we'll give you honor, we'll give you praise for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I feel like I've come on divine assignment for someone who's listening. And you'll know in about 10 or 15 minutes if that's you. If not, you can put this one in your back pocket. 
But I want to say to you, if this is for you, that God is about to remind you of who you are. This passage that we opened up in today is a passage that begins with a conversation in many respects on identity. Both Jesus's and Peter's. It's not that Jesus didn't know who he was or that he needed to be reminded of who he was, but he's now gauging the, the sight of his disciples, those who walk most closely with him. He looks at him and says, you know, who do people say that I am? Then he asks a more penetrative question. He says, but for those of you who have been walking with me, who do you say that I am? And while everyone is stuck on stupid just for a minute, Peter stands forth and says, you are Christ, the son of the living God. Interestingly, as he accurately, he doesn't almost hit the bullseye, but he hits it squarely in the center of the red dot. Jesus looks at him and says, you, you got that right, Peter. You're a bad boy. But it was not, again, sociological observation or empirical data that led you to that conclusion, but it was divine revelation. Flesh and blood did not reveal that to you. It was my Father in heaven that revealed that to you. And because you knew my identity, I'm going to help you with yours, which is an interesting revelation in and of itself. I believe with all my heart, the more we understand Christ and who he is, the more we understand who we really are, the deeper we observe the person of Christ, the more soberly aware of ourselves we become. As Peter says, you are Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus applauds, gives credit to his Father in heaven. Says, Peter, you received that via revelation, and here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell you who you are. You are Peter. And on this rock I build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It's interesting that one thing unlocks the other. As Peter speaks to Jesus' identity, Jesus deepens Peter's identity and purpose. Jesus says to the guys, who, who do you say I am? Before we get into the message, it's, it's frustrating. And I wonder if you know this frustration. It's frustrating to walk amongst people who are engaged in constant activity with you but don't really know you. They, they walk with you, they eat with you, they hang out with you, but don't see you for who you really are. Peter nails this as he speaks up with supernatural revelation. This revelation arrests Jesus, and Jesus responds again, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but it was my Father in heaven. And on this rock, I say to you that you're Peter, and upon this rock, you're, you're Peter, you're stone. And upon this rock I build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, question is, what did he mean? There's so many interpretations from various scholars who compete over what this declaration really meant. Did it mean that Christ himself is the rock on which the church should be built? 
Was it that Peter's confession of Jesus Christ as Son of God or God incarnate is the rock? Or that, as some believe, Peter himself is the rock that the church is built on. Now, I don't have time to dig through all this, but an in-depth review would seem to suggest that it wasn't that he was calling Peter the rock. Because that would be incompatible with the tenor of Scripture from Old Testament to New Testament. Nor was he suggesting that he would establish his work, Jesus' work, absent of Peter or human activity. But here's what I believe he meant. I believe he meant that he was the rock. Ultimately, Jesus was the rock and would co-labor by using Peter and humankind on the human plane to help lay a foundation of his masterful work. That's what I believe he meant here. But let me get back to today's message. Specifically, with Peter as the vessel he would use to help inaugurate the foundation of the church at Pentecost. And he would receive significant revelation connecting Gentiles and Jews together in one family. He would articulate there the purposes of the living God. That's who you are is what Jesus said. Peter, that is what you're destined to do. That is who you will become. And that's the significance of your life call, Peter. Isn't that amazing? That a word can change everything. Could you imagine Peter as he followed Jesus? At this moment, he, he was just upgraded. Could you imagine the excitement that he felt, the sense of the possibilities that began to open up simply from a declared word of God over his life. I wish I had time to talk about this or labor through this the way I wanted to. But can I just talk for a moment about what a word spoken over your life will do? Never minimize a word spoken over your life. I know people need strategic plans and you need everything detailed and laid out. But don't ever skip over a prophetic declaration concerning your life. God sometimes will flush out the details later. We need to hold on to and lean in to words from the Lord because a spoken word will increase clarity in your life. A declared word, a spoken word will make sense of the mess that you've been in. When you can't see anything salvageable, when you can't see anything that is redeemable, when you can't see hope, a spoken word will make sense of your mess and show you that there's a divine thread running through it all. And when you look back over your life, you'll have to declare that God does all things well. A spoken word will bring dignity when your head has been down. It will raise your countenance. A spoken word will align your purpose. A spoken word will confirm the sense of greatness that you felt but forgotten about. A spoken word will energize your daily activity. A spoken word will get you up out of bed with expectation for the day. That's why you never take a spoken word for granted because your life can be changed from one declaration 
Peter received greater clarity concerning who he was. And I'm sure the confidence accompanied it. I'm sure you couldn't tell Peter nothing. He looked at the other disciples, I'm sure, and said, well, guys, you know, you, you didn't have the revelation. He, he, he said, I'm, I'm Peter. He's given me a sense of my destiny. Peter was elevated in that moment. However, no narrative or life story stays static. But after a declared word, often there is consolidated opposition. Look at Joseph. After God gave him a dream of greatness, the conspiracies against him began. Look at Nehemiah as he was responded to the word of God, the assignment of God for his life and generation. As he got close to closing up the breaches in the wall to keep the enemies out in the glorified God, Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, and a consolidated force came against him. Look at Jesus. After he is baptized by John in Luke 3, and the heavens are open, listen to the spoken word. And the voice of the Father comes and says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. An identity word, a clarifying word. The Bible says in chapter number four, right after that, he's led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he is tempted by the devil. And the first thing the devil does is try to undo what God did. God said in chapter number three, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. Chapter number four, the first attack of the enemy is to unravel the declared word. He tries to confuse his destiny. He says, if you really are the son of God, and make these stones bread to, to unravel the fabric and the fortitude of the word spoken over his life. And after this passage, we'll find that Peter attracted significant demonic opposition after Jesus declared this word over his life. The purpose of the opposition is to unravel the fabric of your confidence and to cause you always to forget what God said and who you really are. This world, like Jesus in the wilderness, will attempt to beat identity out of you, will attempt to suppress the call and the word that God spoke into you. This world is a wilderness. And I want to say this, for many, it's been thicker. The, the darkness, the consolidated force to get you to forget who you are, it's been thicker than I've ever seen it in recent history. While Peter is celebrating, the enemy is plotting. While Peter is glad that he's been upgraded, the enemy is scheming. As Peter lifts his head up, the enemy is thinking about how to tear his call down. Because profound calls attract formidable foes. Yeah, in the natural and in the spiritual. When you do things naturally, you attract haters. Don't ever beat yourself up because you have haters. It means you're going somewhere. 
But in the spirit, whenever you begin to go against the grain, there is consolidated opposition. And often before you're even aware of it, as you're still celebrating at your victory party, the enemy is scheming on how to bring you down. Now, you're looking at me saying, prove it. Luke 22, 31 through 32, it says, this is the words of Jesus to Peter. He gives this long list of things to all the other disciples. He begins to speak purpose to them, and it's an encouraging conversation. As he goes down giving these general declarations, he gets to Peter. He says, now that's good, guys. Peter, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. Can you imagine Peter sitting there waiting for his part when Jesus calls his name? He's, he's expecting another confirming word, another upgrade, more divine revelation. He got divine revelation, but not the kind he was looking for. He said, Peter, now here's your word. The enemy wants to sift you as wheat. He wants to cut you down. He wants to cut your purpose, your plan down. He wants the word I spoke over your life when I planted the seed of my word into your life. There's nothing the enemy wants more than to cause the delivery of that word to be aborted before it ever becomes a reality. He says, Satan's asked permission to sift you as wheat, but I prayed for you that your faith will not fail. And when you turn again or turn back, strengthen the brethren. Jesus looks at Peter and gives him a word that is sobering. And that is that there's some opposition coming your way because of the profound call on your life. The enemy wants to see this aborted in the delivery room. The question is, when was this? As Peter listened to the words of Jesus, I'm sure it was sobering. But, but when was it that he was dealt this devastating blow? Y'all all the Bible students, you, you, know, you know when it was. Watch the narrative turn. He went from boldly declaring who Jesus was to Matthew 26, where as Jesus is talking about how he will betray him or deny him, Peter says, I'll never deny you and I will never leave you. He goes from saying, I will never leave you to the Bible says, following Jesus at a distance. I'll, I'll never leave you. I'll always have your back. But way back here, as time goes on, he moves from bold declaration now to spiritual compromise. Many of us know what that's like. There are some listening who have found themselves through this quarantine because there's been disconnection. In the same way, when the disciples are dispersed and go in their own direction because Jesus is taken away and his life is threatened, everyone now, Peter here, was isolated. And when you're isolated, when you're alone, when you're not in community, it's easy for your bold declaration now to slowly but surely gradually become decline. The Bible says that, that Peter 
We're still following Jesus, but he's not up front. He's not front line. He's not with his sword in his hand saying, I'll never leave you. The same one that his sword in his hand ready to take ears from Jesus' captors now drifted to the background because he's been isolated. And when you're isolated, sometimes you lose your conviction. Sometimes you lose your fervor. You lose your passion. You're still following Jesus, but the relationship's a little cold. It's grown cold because there is not proximity and intimacy like there once was. And when you're isolated, it's easy to get there. When there's no one to encourage you, when there's no one to pray with you in the same way, when you're not in a company of disciples who are all walking in the same direction, it's easy to lose ground. Peter finds himself now following at a distance, according to Matthew 26. Loss of intimacy is part of the recipe of losing yourself. I want to talk to some people that feel like you, you've lost yourself. You still love Jesus. You still love God. You still love people. But it feels like you've lost your robustness. You've lost your fervor. You've lost your passion. You've lost some of your conviction. You're following what's following at a distance. Loss of intimacy is a recipe for losing not only your passion, but eventually losing yourself. You're most yourself when there's revelation about who Jesus is, but there's also intimacy and proximity to him. He went from following at a distance to saying, I don't know who you're talking about when they accused him of being one of Jesus' disciples. He goes on, doubles down a second time and says, I don't know the man. He calls him the man. Third time, he, the Bible says, with with cursing and swearing. He takes an oath upon himself. And basically, in essence, he was saying, may God damn me if I know that man, Jesus. While his decline was all in one day. Sometimes what happened with Peter in one day happens with us over one year. Passion, fervor, front line for God being in isolation, to following him at a distance, to denying him. Now, I know most of us have not denied him via confession the way Peter did, but we've denied him often in our thoughts. We've denied his power and presence in our daily lives. We denied him at times in our actions. We all like sheep tend from time to time to go astray. And what I came for today is to talk to some folks that, that have experienced that drift. Like playing at the beach, jumping in the water. I don't know if you've ever been there, jumping in the water. Your blanket and family, your stuff is right behind you. But because there is a subtle current that is passing by. And the movement is so incremental. Every time you go down and jump up again, you are gradually drifting away from where you once were. And if you play out there long enough, you look up and expect to see your stuff behind you, only to find that 
your things are a hundred yards up the beach and you don't even remember moving because the current is so subtle. For some of us in this last year, we've been subtly pulled by the current of compromise. And we've looked up and have become disoriented because we don't know who we are or where we are anymore. After Peter denies Jesus these three times, the Bible, like Jesus says, declares the, the rooster crowed. And at, at that moment, it hit him like a ton of bricks. He remembered Jesus' words and ran away weeping bitterly. Because there was not the resident presence of the Holy Spirit indwelling the believer, the follower of Jesus at the time, Jesus used his external stimuli to do what the Holy Spirit does for us now. When the rooster crowed, Peter's eyes were open and he was reminded of the words of Jesus. When the Holy Spirit, who is resident in us, prompts us, convicts us, we're often reminded of the words of Jesus right in the middle of our mess. Peter is embarrassed at himself. He runs away and weeps bitterly. In that moment, he didn't just shed tears, but shed his dignity. He, he didn't just shed tears, he shed his sense of worth. It wasn't just tears that fell from his eyes, but what drifted from his mind was the word spoken over his life. His sense of prophetic destiny in his mind, I'm sure all that Jesus spoke concerning him was over. It went to the periphery and from the periphery to a distant memory. His sense of call, spiritual authority, and who he really was was lost. Can I tell you who I'm here for today? Some people who have lost their sense of who they are. You may not have denied Jesus in the same way, but I'm curious to know if there's anyone listening who knows what it is to lose your felt sense of call, your authority, your sense of who you really are in God. Being in an environment where you're not celebrated for too long will cause you to forget who you are. Not seeing results that you're used to seeing will cause you to forget who you are. Feeling disqualified after a failure will cause you to forget who you are. Discouraged because God seems to be using and promoting everyone but you will cause you to, to forget who you are. And to wonder if your time is up or if you've heard the wrong thing from God. Like Peter, many of you have messed up so bad in front of witnesses that you're wondering, even if God forgives me, can I show my face and recover from the embarrassment before people? Peter's lost himself, like many of you listening and had no sense 
of who he is or what his future held anymore. He had walked away from his business. He had given up everything to follow Jesus. He didn't have a plan B, C, and D. This was it. And now in his moment where he should have stood up, where I'm sure he told himself, I, I should have been a greater witness, he misses it. The overwhelming revelation called confidence and authority the word concerning his life are now a distant memory. And he's left to try to put the pieces back together. He's left to try to gather himself and to, to figure out what he's going to do with himself. Because I'm sure in his mind he thought life will never be the same for me again. I, I've drifted too far. I've compromised too much. Some of you, that's your testimony. For others, you, you don't feel as if you've drifted. You don't feel as if you've compromised, but you've lost your authority. You've lost your gravitas. You've lost your sense of power. You've lost your clarity. You've lost your identity. You've lost a sense of the call. At that moment, I wish someone could have touched Peter on the shoulder and said, Peter, don't... Don't you remember the words of Jesus? This is the importance of not drifting or isolating yourself because of embarrassment. Because if you isolate yourself, there are no other witnesses that can remind you of what Jesus said concerning you. There's no witnesses that can remind you of the words of Jesus in your moment of disorientation. There's no one who can reel you back into your sense of call and purpose by pointing to what Jesus said. That's why you can't do this thing alone. You can't live out your call by yourself. You can't get to where God's called you to be in isolation, but you need people that will remind you of what Jesus said. I wish someone would have just tapped him on the shoulder and said, Peter, we've all heard what you've done, but let me remind you of what Jesus said. Do you remember after he said you're going to be great, you're going to do wonderful things, after he celebrated you because of the revelation that you had concerning him, he also told you later that the enemy is plotting and planning to cut your purpose down, to cut your life down, to sift you as wheat, to stop the movement of God through you. I wish someone somewhere would have been able to remind him of the words of Jesus. Because of the words of Jesus were, Satan has asked permission to sift you as wheat, but I prayed for you. I prayed that your faith would not fail. And that when you turn back from falling, that you would strengthen the brethren. He would have realized if someone was able to tell him that God saw the fall before the mess and orchestrated the comeback before the slip-up. Let me say that again because somebody missed it. Jesus says to him, when you turn back, I pray that you don't fail, but when you turn back from failing, strengthen the brethren. Jesus was not confused. It is not that Jesus did not see, even with his prayers, that Peter would stumble or that Peter would fall. What he was saying is, 
My prayer for you, even as you stumble along the way, that you will not ultimately fail in your ultimate purpose. My prayer is not in your immediate space or for your immediate situation only. My prayer is for your prophetic destiny where I ultimately want you to be. While Peter was focused in here, Jesus was in his tomorrow. Jesus said, while I'm praying that your faith will not ultimately fail, I see that you're going to stumble along the way. But I'm so glad we serve a God that does not disqualify us for stumbling as we are getting toward the ultimate place that he has for us. I'm so glad that God does not take our prophetic destiny because there are stumbles and failures along the way. Interestingly, Jesus saw all this before Peter ever messed up. Jesus says, you will not ultimately fail, but you will fall along the way. Here's what I ask you to do. When you stand up, repent, turn back, remember some of that stuff that you went through when you were down there. Remember some of the heartache. Remember some of the pain. Remember some of the pitfalls. Bring back hell's manual to show other faithful people who the enemy is plotting and scheming on. Listen, do something from there. Bring back the manual so you can give instruction to them on how to circumvent the enemy's tactics, how to get around his tricks and traps. As Paul said, Peter, since you've been down there, you're no longer ignorant of the enemy's schemes. Use that messed up, jacked up situation to bring redemption to people who will need it. Yeah, God always has a plan, even in your mess up. I know I'm trying to go on, but, but God always has a plan. Even in your slip-ups, God always has a plan. Even when you've compromised and you've compromised his name and you've compromised your integrity, God is still at work in you. He's causing all things to work together for your good because you love him and are called according to his purpose. Just because your momentum has halted does not mean God's plan. Plans for you have ceased. He says, Peter, when you turn back, strengthen the brother. And now, now as Peter is down on his luck, as Peter is discouraged, I wish someone would have reminded him that God saw the fall before the mess and orchestrated the comeback before the slip-up. That's somebody's word today. God saw the ground that you would lose but coordinated your victory party before you ever lost. Whew, I love my God. He, he saw the ground you would lose, but orchestrated your coming out party before you ever went in. Before the discouragement, before the mistake, before the complacency set in, before the opportunity was squandered, before you forgot his word concerning you, before you forgot who you are and the power that you walk in, he masterminded the restoration of it all before you ever stepped into it. But for you to remember who you are and for you to move back into the authority that you had to, to step back into your sense of call, you need to have the restoration of your confidence before God, yourself, and often people. 
You know how the story goes on as Peter's in his discouragement. Jesus sends a word and says, go and get the disciples and Peter. He gave him a special invitation with his name on it. If he had done a general call, Peter wouldn't have thought he was calling for him because he was disqualified and would have disqualified himself. So sometimes, even when you don't have the strength to pursue God, there are so many that have beat yourself up in this season because you haven't felt like seeking God. You haven't felt like chasing after God. You haven't felt like going after God. But God sent me to declare when you don't have the strength to pursue him, he never stops pursuing you. When you're too embarrassed to go after him and to show your faith in public, God is still after you. While your pursuit of God may be suspended, God's pursuit of you never stops. Can't you hear him even in the garden as Adam and Eve has sinned and they're running and hiding from God. God continues to pursue them. Where are you? I'm coming after you. I'm looking for you. I'm not going to leave you where you are. While there is human responsibility, we put too much emphasis on all that we're supposed to do at all times. When we don't have it, when we're broken, when we're weak, when we're frail. <gasps> Society and the church in many respects puts it all on us. But I love the word of God shows us. And in those moments where I'm too broken to seek God, God still comes looking for me. He sends an invitation with my name on it. Because if he sent an invitation to me that was a general invitation, uh, like you get in your email, sometimes you won't believe it because it's too good to be true or you think it's some sort of scam or you think they're not referring to you. Listen, some emails I pass up because it doesn't have my name on it. If you really want me, you've got to put my name on it, especially when I feel as if I've lost confidence with you. I've, I've failed you. I've, I've let you down. But I'm so grateful that God doesn't send when we're in those moments in our life general emails, but he sends Emails that are addressed with our name on it. He says, go and get the disciples and Peter a call with his name on it. And you know the rest of the story. He says, do you love me? And restores his call. He grants forgiveness. He, he allows Peter's failure to be washed away. In fact, he saw it before Peter ever messed up. He saw and orchestrated his comeback before the slip-up. He, he restores Peter. He says, if you love me, feed my sheep, feed my lamb, minister to my people. What was he doing? He was restoring Peter even after his fall. He says, you're not disqualified from doing what I've called you to do. Well, I have to deal now with the white spaces of the text because the Bible does not capture or give us a detailed account of what it took for Peter to build back up his faith, to build back up his sense of worth. He was back in the camp now, forgiven by God. But he had still not moved into the fullness of who he was. The word concerning his life, when Peter, when Jesus looked at him rather, and said, You're Peter. And on this rock I build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. That was a lofty destiny declaration. While Peter is forgiven by God, he is still 
not in that place of strength, of stature, of power. Until we get to Acts chapter number 2. And as they're gathered on one accord praying in the upper room, the Bible said that the Holy Spirit broke out with tongues that fell upon them of fire. Not these tongues of fire, but like the, the, the parts of the fire that shoot out as you're burning wood. Those sorts of tongues of fire came, rested on them, and they all began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance as this supernatural thing was happening. They began to spill out of the street, into the streets with this divine move of God. And like our own day, when, when God begins to move, there are always a couple responses. One group looked at them and labeled them immediately and said they're drunk. They dismissed them as fools. Another group leaned in a little bit further and said, what's this all about? Let's look into this matter. And as one group is confused, and probably both groups are confused, as they heard these men, all of them from all parts of the world or that portion of the world, begin to hear everyone in their own language. One group says they're drunk. Another group says, what is this about? Both are confused. Peter comes with an address. He stands up under the power of the Holy Spirit and begins to recite using Scripture under the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what is taking place. This is that which the prophet Joel spoke of. He begins in authority to lay the foundation through the power of God of the church. And it's at that moment, I don't know how it was for him, but I've got to use my imagination just a little bit. I believe at that moment he, he realized that this is what Jesus was referring to. This is me living out my call. As he's watching people go from being confused to understanding what they're seeing and longing for the presence of God, he begins to remember who he is. He is filled with the sense of call. The mandate concerning his life returns. The sense of possibilities come back. He, I'm sure, is moved as he's watching the power of the living God work through him to touch people around him. The Bible declares that 3,000 came to the Lord. 3,000 souls came to the Lord that day. There was no microphone system. There was no worship team. But Peter standing under the power of the living God. The Bible says 3,000 people came. into the kingdom of God. And I'm sure he remembered the words of Jesus and the call on his life. His authority returns. And, and God reminds him at that moment of who he is in one moment of empowerment. The failures, the fears, the insecurity begin to melt away his divine identity, his, his divine call begin to emerge. 
What does this have to do with you? As we are one week away from the celebration of Pentecost, I declare to someone listening, if this has resonated with you, if you found yourself along this path, if there are parallels between where you are and where Peter was, for some, you may have compromised. For some, in this last year, you may have acted like you didn't even know the Lord with some of the stuff you were involved in. For others, you may have walked with the Lord, but your power feels like it's gone. Your strength, your confidence feels as if it's lost. God sent me in this place to declare to you, to the one who has forgotten who you are, that he's getting ready to remind you. Not just with a word this time, but with the manifestation, with the, with the birthing of your call, with the birthing of your purpose, with the, with the, the, the tangible release. of what you've been dreaming about, of what you've been believing for. And I'm not just talking about things, I'm talking about you. The person you've wanted to be. The confidence and boldness you want to walk in. The anointing you've seen resting on your life to accomplish the will of God. Listen to me. The word of the Lord for you is that God is getting ready through that to remind you of who you are. He is going to not only restore, but he is going to exceed your expectation in the area of your call, your purpose, your divine Identity will emerge. Before Pentecost, my prayer and declaration is that by May 23rd, your strength, your authority will be fully restored. That the demand for what you carry will begin to come back. While your gift has laid dormant, while your aspirations have been shelved, while your divine purpose has been buried, my prayer is, for those of you listening, no, it's not even a prayer. It's a declaration. The declaration concerning your life is that God is going to remind you of who you are. He's going to restore your spiritual authority. For many, he's going to fill you afresh with the power of his Holy Spirit. He's going to renew your confidence. He's going to clarify your call. And he's going to create a demand for the very thing that you carry, just the way you carry it. You will not have to morph 
You will not have to bend. You will not have to strive. But God is getting ready to remind you of who you are through what he does in and through you. And I believe he's going to do it by Pentecost, which is next Sunday. So, Lord, we believe this word concerning our lives. While this will come in increasing measure, I pray that you give a tangible sign, a literal call, request. My prayer is that you now create or reveal the demand for what your children carry. Remind us not of what the world said about us. Remind us not of our mistakes, our fears, our phobias and failures. Remind us of your words concerning us. Remind us of our prophetic destiny. Remind us not of where we are or how we feel, but remind us of where we ultimately will be. And we'll give you glory, we'll give you honor, we'll give you praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Now listen, I want you to just sit with that. And I want to leave you time just to go be before the Lord. For some of you, the Lord is going to lead you to fast between now and next Sunday. For others of you, he's going to draw you back into his his word and devotion and back into intimacy and the proximity. For others, he's going to begin to, to stir your heart and give you a desire to commune with him afresh. For, for some, he's going to remind you of his goodness and his everlasting love, his forgiveness. Wherever you are, I pray that you sit with that and allow the Lord to minister to you. Don't, don't, don't run from this stream to go engage in, in random activity, but give it a little time. And I promise you God will begin to speak to you, begin to instruct you, begin to prepare you for all that he has for you in this coming week. If you're listening and don't have a church family, church home, I want to know more about what it means to make Christ the Lord, the Savior of your life and experience life that so many of us have experienced, it's the greatest decision that you'll ever make. If that's you, you want to connect to this church family or you want to know more about what it means to make Christ the Lord, the Savior of your life, I want you to click on that link that says connect. We have people waiting and standing by to ensure that we not only connect you to this church family, but to the family of God. So if that's you, Make sure you click on that link. If you need prayer, click on that same link. As we pray seven days a week, we'll lift your prayer request before the Lord. The only thing we ask you do is when God moves on your behalf, our response to prayer, that you let us know so we can keep our prayer team and our entire church motivated. Until next week, Lord, we thank you for being the love in every believing heart peace in every believing mind, the breath in every believing spirit, and life in every believing soul. And we say, may the saving grace 
And for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, in the sweet communion of his precious Holy Spirit, rest, rule, and abide now, henceforth, and forever. As we're becoming more like Christ and our environments are becoming more like heaven, it will matter that we live. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Go in peace. I cannot wait to worship with you on June 27th. God bless you.